Hello, folks. This is not a new episode. This is me dropping the interview I did with Dick Hoyt in January 2013 when I first engaged, I believe, and started running for Team Hoyt to support their charity or their cause, as it were. But Dick was a great guy, and with Dick's passing this week, I thought I would play this just for all of us to remember Dick and remember all the great work that Team Hoyt did. So anyhow, this is just the interview portion of that show, which was 3-353 back in January of 2013. Enjoy. And now for today's featured interview. Dick. Yes. I've known you guys for a long time, you and Ricky, and it's uh it's it's commonplace now to see people running for causes and and using our sport, you know, for higher higher purposes and charities. But when you guys started, there was none of that stuff. Especially here in New England where, you know, runners were real runners back in the the seventies, right? Right. There was there was none of this uh charity stuff. No. So you're you're you were you were you guys were pioneers in this. Yeah, thing. I guess we've been pine we've been pioneers now for quite a few years and it's all over the world. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And you were telling me you're running your thirty first Boston Marathon this year. That's right. This year will be our thirty first uh Boston Marathon and it's, it's really a special one for us because they're putting a bronze statue, life-size bronze statue, at the starting line in Hopkinton this year. And actually, it's going to be dedicated on the 9th of April. Wow. So it's uh, it's really awesome, and it's an awesome statue. And, you know, when Rick was born, they said, you know, forget about him, put him away, put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. And now he this vegetable's turning into a bronze statue that people are going to be able to see for years and years and years. And you know what's amazing? I was looking at it, and uh, Ricky and I are about the same age. Yeah, Ricky's 50 years old. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. considering what they told you guys when he was born, you know? Yep, yep. They said he never turned do anything, and, you know, he's he's graduated from public high school. He's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in 1,100 races in the past 34 years. And the Boston thing is amazing because they wouldn't even let you guys run. I mean, originally, right? It's amazing because when we first started, nobody wanted anything to do with us. You know, we started off trying to do 5Ks and, you know, uh, 10Ks and stuff like that, and nobody wanted us in the races. But, you know, our, our motto is, yes, you can. There isn't anything you can't do as long as you make up your mind to do it. And so everybody that said, no, you can't do this, well, we just found a way of doing it. And it was just unbelievable. And actually, the Boston Marathon, in order for us to be official, they said that I had to qualify in Rick's age group. And at the time, Rick was in his 20s, and I was in my 40s. And so that meant we had to run under two hours and 50 minutes just to qualify. And I think that was their excuse to get rid of us because this, they said there's no way a 40-year-old guy could push his 20-year-old son in a wheelchair and break two hours and 50 minutes. So we went down that far. We went down to Washington, D.C. to the Marine Marathon, and that's called the People's Marathon. 
and anybody can run in this marathon, and they always get over 15,000 runners. Well, we ended up running this marathon in two hours, 45 minutes, and 17 seconds, and that qualified both Rick and I for the Boston Marathon, and we've been official entrants ever since. Matter of fact, they did time us when they said we couldn't do it in 81, 82, and 83, and they do have the results, and they had it on on the uh, internet, you know, and so we took them all off, and we had Team White shirts made up with all our Boston Marathon time. So it was nice that they included, you know, the first one that we ever did. And, uh, in matter of fact, 1996, the 100th running of the Boston Marathon, Rick and I were honored as Centennial Heroes by the BAA and their sponsor, John Hancock. So you can see we've come a long way and we've been able to break down a lot of barriers along the way. Yeah. So why don't you, uh, why don't you back up and introduce yourself and give us the, you know, give us your story. Like you okay. would in your, your many speaking engagements, Dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what happened, uh, Rick was the first born, and uh, what happened when he, was, when he was being born, he turned himself over, and the biblical cord got twisted around his neck, and he was in such a position that took a matter of minutes before the doctor could get at it and untangle it. Well, that caused a lack of oxygen to Rick's brain, which caused brain damage, which is cerebral palsy. Uh, at the time, we knew there was something wrong with Rick, but we did not know exactly what. So the doctors made an appointment for us to see a specialist when Rick was eight months old. We took Rick to the specialist, and they did all kinds of tests. And the tests come back, and they were very negative. They said, forget Rick. Put him away. Put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. And on the way home from that doctor's appointment, Rick's mother and I, we cried. But then we talked and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstream and included all of his life. Today, Rick is 50 years old. He still can't talk, use his arms and his legs. But he's graduated from public high school. He's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself. And we have competed in over 1,100 athletic events. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that story, they... They, they say, you know, how how did Rick graduate from high school and college if he can't talk? Well, we knew Rick was very bright. We could tell by looking in his eyes that he was paying attention and he was looking right in our eyes. And we knew he understood what we were saying. So we taught him the alphabet and the numbers and we did a lot of reading with Rick. And then we tried to get him in a public school and they said, no, he doesn't understand. He won't be able to learn. So we went and met some engineers from Tufts University in Boston, and we talked to them, and they said the same thing, that Rick wouldn't be able to learn. So we told the engineers to tell Rick a joke. They told Rick a joke, and Rick cracked up laughing. Right, yes. Yeah. said, wow, maybe there is something there. So they said, if you can get us $5,000, we'll build a communicating device for Rick. Now, you got to remember, that was 45 years ago, and $5,000 was a lot of money. But the Hoyt family raised the $5,000. We gave it to the engineers, and they built what was called the TIC, the Tufts Interactive Communicator. And the engineers were coming to our house, and everybody's betting what are the first words Rick is ever going to say. Well, his mom's saying it's going to be, hi, mom, and me and dad, no, nah, it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. So we knew right then and there that he understood everything and he loved sports. 
So he took Rick with his tick to the school department. The principal of the school took him in a room with some teachers, and they left us outside because before they were saying we were answering for him. They asked right. questions. He answered them correctly, and they had to accept him in public school. And then after that, the federal government came out with a grant, and they were building these computers so other people could use them to communicate. So what led you guys to get involved in racing? Well, Rick was attending a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher got him involved in all the gym activities with all the other children. And he was also the basketball coach at Westfield State College, and he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, at one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the lacrosse players from the college was in an accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So they're going to have this charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could play his medical bills. Well, when Rick came home from that game, he told me all about it. And he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week, a mile each time, just to try to keep my weight down. And it's all we had was a Mulholland wheelchair, which was form-fitted, prescription-made to Rick's body. And we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But yeah. we went down to the race. It was a five-mile race, and they put the number double zero on Rick's chair. And the gun went off, and Rick and I took off with all the other runners. Well, everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. And when we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and when they're out there running, the disability disappears. He called himself Freebird because now he was free and able to be out there competing and running with all the other runners. And he actually had a sign made up that said Freebird that he attached to his running chair. And actually, that's one of his favorite songs. But right. you know, there's only one thing after that race. I was disabled. <laughs> I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body that could ache. <laughs> I could hardly walk for two weeks. So I told Rick, I said, if we're going to continue running, we're going to have to get a chair built so I wouldn't be hurting as badly. So we went up to Greenfield, New Hampshire, Crotchet Mountain, and we talked to an engineer up there, and we told him what we wanted for a chair. And he just got some old pipes and tubings, and he welded them together, and then we got an insert for Rick to sit in. Now, this chair had two wheels in the back and one wheel in the front. At the time, the regular wheelchair athletes were using the four wheelchairs, and there were no baby joggers at the time. Right. Think if we had patented that chair? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All they had was your old-style wheelchairs back then. Right. With the bogey right. wheels in front. Right. We had a, a a bike company that was working with us at the time, and I told them, I said, you have to build these chairs because other people are going to want them. Well, they just looked at us, and they turned around and walked away. Five years later, they were all buying baby joggers and selling them. But Rick and I weren't thinking about that. That's all we were thinking about was getting a chair built so we could run together. And that's what we call a running chair. We took yeah. our new running chair over to what we call our first official race, which was over in Springfield, Massachusetts. When we got over there, nobody could near us, nobody had talked to us, and nobody wanted us in the race. But finally, the overall race director said that we could run. 
It was a 10K race, 6.2 miles. There are 300 runners in this race, and Rick and I finished 150th out of the 300 runners. So after that, Rick and I go to a different town and a different city and run, and finally people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that Rick had a personality and a sense of humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. But, you know, at that time, I had a lot of families that were sending letters and phone calls to me, and they were very upset with me. They said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son through all these races? Are you just looking for glory for yourself? What they didn't realize, it was Rick that was dragging me through all these races. So that fall, Rick and I sat down and talked about what we wanted to do the following year. We decided we wanted to run the Boston Marathon. So we applied to the BAA, and they turned us down. They said, no, you can't run with us because you're different than anybody else. Yeah. You know, the Boston Marathon has a wheelchair division, so we applied through them. But they also turned us down saying, no, you're different than us. You can't run with us. Because, see, they propel the wheelchairs themselves where I was pushing Rick. But what right. they did say is, if you want, you can line up behind us and run. And that's what we did in 1981. So essentially, you, you went back you went back with all the bandits in the back. <laughs> was that? You got in the back with all the bandits. No, we got right behind the wheelchair athletes. Okay. So we started, you know, at the same time as the wheelchairs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's but people have to remember that running in in the Boston area in the 70s is so much different than it is today. Today, right. There were no like casual runners. It was all really hardcore stuff. Right. And the, and there was probably what 2000 people in the Boston Marathon? Yeah, that's about all it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Now they have to turn them out, turn them away. Right. So you guys must have stood out like a sore thumb. When you showed well, we up, did, these everybody say, "What is this?" You know, nobody could believe it. You know, and then you know, we ran our first marathon at three hours and eighteen minutes, and you know that 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 was just unbelievable to everybody. You know, they never thought that we'd be able to run that type of time. You know, and at that time, three hours and eighteen minutes, we beat eighty-five percent of all the other runners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can. I've run a lot of races with you guys, and back in back, you know, fifteen years ago. I knew I was having a really good race if I passed you. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. Yeah, you know, I was just I was looking at some of our old records and stuff because we we really haven't had a chance to see actually what we have accomplished. And I mean, the times that we have is just mind boggling to me. You know, a five miler at the PR is twenty seven minutes. Yeah. K, it's around thirty five minutes. You know, and it, that two forty marathon. You know, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Mark. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, you're yeah. pushing pushing a, a, a an adult in a, a chair and head. Yeah, that's great. Right. Yeah. So, it, and all this stuff this spun up into uh, you started doing triathlons and uh, Ironman and all kinds of other stuff. Right. Yeah. It was uh, 1984. Uh, Rick and I were down on Cape Cod running the Falmouth Road Race. And Dave McGilfrey, you know, he has a sports enterprise, and he is now the director of the Boston Marathon, approached me, and he said, Dick, you look like a good triathlete. You have to do triathlons. Well, I looked at Dave, and I said, only if I can do them with Rick. Well, he looked at me as if I was crazy, and he turned around and walked away. Well, the whole year went by. We're down doing the Falmouth Road Race again, and Dave come up afterwards. He said, come on, Dick, you're in better shape now. You have to do triathlons. 
Well, I gave him the same answer, only if I can do it with Rick. He said, okay, Dick, why don't you see what type of equipment that you can get built so you and Rick can compete together. At the time, I did not know how to swim. I hadn't been on a bike since I was six years old. And here we are committing ourselves to our first triathlon in nine months. Well, I was in the process of changing jobs, and it meant I had to buy a house. And I says, well, if we're going to do triathlons, I don't know how to swim. I'm going to buy a house on a lake. And that's what I did. I bought a house in Holland, Massachusetts, on Hamilton Reservoir. And I'll never forget the first day I went down and jumped in that lake. I almost drowned. (laughs) I, I just sank. I couldn't swim more than 12 feet. So every day I'd come home from work and I was able to swim a little bit further and a little bit further. And then that winter, I joined the YMCA so I could continue swimming. Now, in the meantime, we were in the process of getting the rest of the equipment built so we could compete. And we did not get the equipment till the day of the triathlon, so we didn't know if it was going to work or not. Now, most people, when they do their first triathlon, they do what's called a sprint triathlon, which yep. consists of maybe a third of a mile swim, maybe a 9- or 12-mile bike, and maybe a 5K run. Well, the yeah. one we picked was a mile swim, a 40-mile bike, and a 10-mile run. And it was a very hilly course. And it was a very hot day. But we ended up finishing that triathlon again, coming in next to last, but not last. And yeah. we enjoyed triathlon so much that we call ourselves triathlon freaks, and we have competed in over 270 triathlons now. Yeah, including the big one, right? You want Kona, right? Yes, we did. And... uh <laughs> It was it was amazing because uh, actually Dave McGilfrey knew the people out in Kona, so so we we he helped us out a little bit, you know, talking to the race directors and stuff, and they tried to make all ex- kinds of excuses, safety excuses, you know, why we wouldn't be able to do it, like it gets dark at six o'clock at night and all that stuff to keep us from running into all the other runners and stuff, and but we had an answer for them for all it, the the reason why they said we couldn't do it, so we ended up doing our first one. It was in 1988, the one in Hawaii, and I made a big mistake. Uh, what I did, you know, I was very concerned with the heat and everything out there. I was concerned about Rick getting dehydrated and stuff. So I drank this Gatorade replacement fluid, and I didn't know anything about it, but you're not supposed to drink the replacement fluid unless you're competing or after you complete, compete, you know. So then... What happened was we got out in a swim, and we had a great swim going. We had made the turnaround. We're coming back in, and uh, all of a sudden, I got paralyzed, and I could not move my arms, and I couldn't. Well, I don't kick anyway when I'm swimming, but anyway, and we ended up, you know, not making a swim cutoff time, so they, they you know, picked us up in the boat and took us in, and I, I plummeted it for about four hours after that, so we had a yeah. serious problem, so... What we did is we applied, you know, I talked to Dave about it a little bit more, and we applied to do it the following year, 1989. And because of the way we behaved ourselves and didn't, you know, complain and all this and that, that they they said that we could do it again in 1989. And we ended up doing it and completing it, and it was really great. And and actually, uh, with, I forget how many I am. Yeah, we've done six Ironmans. We did Ironman Canada. We did Ironman Germany. We're over in Japan. We just love triathlons. And matter of fact, um, was it four years ago? Uh, they had uh, it was the 30th anniversary of the Hawaiian Ironman, and up until that point, 
there don't even 25 people in the world inducted into the Ironman triathlon. Well, Rick became 26 and I became 27, and he beat me again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he always beat you, huh? Guys yeah, ahead. Well, we did have we did have one race in Boston, the Boston Police Chase, and we came to the finish line, and I turned him around and I went across backwards ahead of him to beat him, and he just cracked up. He had so much fun with it, but it's just amazing, you know, what people didn't want us, and now here we are doing the Ironman, you know, it's the world's championship, Ironman triathlon in Kona, and being inducted into the Hall of Fame. How has this transformed yours and uh, and Ricky's life, this whole process? Uh, it's just it's just unbelievable, you know. Um, you know, I, I, if if it wasn't for Rick, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be alive today because I had a heart attack in in, in uh, 2002. We were down uh, doing a Hyannis half marathon to get ready for the Boston marathon, and I ended up having a heart attack. And and while we were running, I didn't even know it. That's all I had was a tickle in my throat. And I was spitting, and I don't like to spit because a lot of times when people spit, they're, they're spitting on Rick. And I always have a water bottle on Rick's chair, you know, plastic water bottle I drink from. But I was stopping at the water stops and drinking water, and that's not like me. And actually, we were having a great race. We had done 12 miles, and we were first place in my age group. But I stopped at this last water stop, and a guy in my age group passed us, you know, so we, we weren't able to catch him. After that, we did four more races, and we took first place in my age group. And I, excuse me, I still had a tickle in my throat. And it was four weeks before Boston. So uh, I went to my doctor. She she said she, she wanted to give me an EKG. And I said, now, when you give me an EKG, it's going to look like I'm underneath a massive heart attack because that's the way all of mine have been. So she said, okay, and I went home that night. And I get up the next morning, I'm driving to the club to work out, and she says, where are you going? And I told her, I'm going to the club to work out. And she said, no, you're not. You've had a heart attack. You're coming back here. And what she did is she checked my EKG from the prior year, and there was a difference in them. So they brought me in, and they gave me a stress test, and I didn't know what a stress test was. But I guess most people are only on it, on it for about like 13 or 14 minutes, while I was going for a half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> they had people coming out and looking at me and stuff like that, like I was a freak or something. And I said, I don't know what's going on. What are you trying to give me a heart attack, you know? So they did all kinds of tests, and I had to have an angioplasty, and they ended up putting three stints in. And the doctor was going to still, he says, you're such great shape. We're still going to let you run the marathon, and this is four weeks before it. But what they did is they put me on the satin drugs, and yeah. I had all kinds of side effects. I had double infections. Yeah, uh, severe chest pains, and I, I couldn't I couldn't run at all. I could hardly walk because of the satin and you know the, the, the drugs. And the doctor told me he says you know if you weren't in the shape you were in now you would have died 15 years ago. Yeah, that's so amazing. If they asked me to start running, I probably wouldn't have been around now. Yeah. So it's just it's just amazing. So in your you guys are have been busy for years. You know, every weekend, every day, you're doing stuff. How do you guys balance all the stuff that you have to do? And you worked full time too, Dick. Yes, at the time I I, I was in the military uh, for 35 years, and what I used to do was I used to be getting up at five o'clock every morning, and I wasn't getting home until eight o'clock at night to do deal with my job, and and to keep get myself in the shape that I thought I had to get in shape. You know. To, to do an Ironman triathlon, especially the way we do it, you know, I have to pull Rick in a boat 
and then we have to bike. You pull on the boat for 2.4 miles, then you get to bike 112 miles. Well, with Rick, me, and the bike, we go 400 pounds. So yes. try doing that, going up the hills and hitting the wind out there in Hawaii. And then afterwards, you know, you got to run a full marathon. So it, it's it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. It, it's it's just that we've got ourselves conditioned and, and we've been able to do it. And so yeah, those um, those crosswinds on the bike out in Kona must be oh, must be really hairy when you've got the um, the rig with you. They really uh and you know the last the last hill is seven miles high going up there and it's all wide open, you know, so the wind is really blowing. So it's it's really is a t- it's a tough course. We, you know, we've done the, the Ironman Canada and Germany and other Ironmans, and we actually did the this, this sprint triathlon, which Dave McGilfrey had down in Cape Cod. You know, they call it not the sprint, the endurance triathlon down in Cape Cod. It's the same distance, but they can't use the Ironman logo unless they pay them. Right. You know, yeah. Them to yeah. Yeah. Part of the Ironman triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. You inspire a lot of people. Who inspires you? Well, Rick is the one that inspires me. He he motivates me. You know, he, you know, he, he. The easiest thing for him to do is to quit and not do anything. But he he's not that type. He's a, he's a fighter and he wants to do all these things. I mean, everything that he's done with his life and they said he's going to be a vegetable is just unbelievable. So he really inspires and motivates me. And there's a lot of people now that ask us, well, how do you guys keep doing it? You know, all these races and, and all 34 years and Rick's 50, I'm 72, you know, keep going. And what happens is, you know, when we first started, nobody wanted anything to do with us. Now we're getting people that are emailing us, calling us up, and we're motivating them. And they're out there competing and they're in the best shapes of their life, competing, and they want to thank us. So now they're inspiring Rick and I to continue we've had emails from a young lady that was ready to commit suicide and she saw our story and now she's out running and doing triathlons we've had drug addicts and alcoholics that are now clean because of our story and it's spread all over the world people want us to go to all different countries and now there's 40 franchises in the United States that are doing what Rick and I have been doing and the, the people from Virginia Beach, they're in Michigan, they're in Arizona, they're in South Carolina, they got one in Massachusetts, we got a call from Japan, and they all want to get started. And what they're doing is they're pushing kids who are physically challenged in chairs. And one of these days, there's going to be races where you're not going to be able to run unless you're pushing somebody that's physically challenged. <laughs> that's, yeah, but- that's quite the turnaround, huh? It is. It's just so unbelievable. You can't run our race. You don't, you're not pushing somebody in a chair. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. This uh, this coming May, we're going to have probably 50 or 60 people coming up here in Holland where we live just to run in a 5K race. And, I mean, they're coming uh, from Arizona. They're coming from Virginia Beach. They're coming from Michigan. They're coming from the Carolinas and all over the place. And they're coming up here just to run in a 5K race. And it's and it's an awesome experience because the people up here, you know, they got their children physically challenged, and they saw what was happening. We had this for the last two years, and the buzz around in the town is next. Did you see those kids? They're out there getting pushed. They're all happy. They all got smiles on their face. They're having a great time. And here's my kids complaining and bitching and, and all this <laughs> and that. That I want this. I want that you know yeah. so it's really changing a, a lot of lives throughout the world 
Yeah, it's a good perspective. So April 9th, they're going to put up a statue of you and Ricky at the starting line of the Boston Marathon. Is that what you that's said? Right. It's a life-size statue that's going to be put up at the, at the starting line. It's going to be dedicated on April 9th, yes. Oh, that's cool. I can't that, wait that to see really that. That's really cool. I mean, to us, that's like, you know, winning the Super Bowl or the World Series or something like that. You know, it's just amazing. It's, yeah, so... So I'm collecting for you guys this year. Tell us a little bit about your um, your foundation. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we really appreciate people running. Uh, every year, uh, thanks to our sponsor, John Hancock, they're able to get us uh, 20, 20 numbers. And then, as a matter of fact, last year, our 30th run in the Boston Marathon, they were able to get us to 30 numbers, and we ended up with 14 people who had qualified that wanted to run for our foundation also. And and, it, and we ended up raising over two hundred thousand dollars because you know you, you got to raise a minimum of, of five thousand dollars for these people that, that get get the numbers and stuff. And what we do is we help out these families who have physically challenged people and can't afford to send them away to camps and and get them involved in running and stuff. And we're big supporters of Easter Seals. Easter Seals it has done a lot for, for people, and they get the same mission that we have, the Hoyt Foundation. And as a matter of fact, the, on our 25th running of Boston Marathon, we dedicated the Easter Seals because when Rick was much younger, he was involved at the Easter Seals swim programs, the day camps and overnight camps. And then in the summertime, he'd go away for two weeks at a time, and it helped him to mature, and it was a lot easier for him to leave his family and go all the way into Boston to attend Boston University. And so we dedicated our 25th run, and we were able to raise over $350,000, and every penny of it went to Easter sales. And also, a year and a half ago, we were able to raise over a million and a half dollars that went to all nonprofit private organizations. So we're helping a lot of people, a lot of people out. As a matter of fact, Mike Gilango was the first president of the Hoyt Foundation. He's an amazing guy. Yep, he's on the Boston uh, Race Committee with McGilbury now. Right, yeah. If people want to uh, contribute or learn more, where do they go? Just go to our website. we got a fantastic website, teamhoyt.com. That's our website. All right. And it's a great website. As a matter of fact, if they go into it, the opening, they'll see a picture of Rick and I, and there'll be an arrow there. And if they just press on that arrow, there's a video for four and a half minutes, and it will just blow them away. I guarantee you that. All right. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time out to have a chat with me. You have a great and weekend. Happy holiday and enjoy your family. Yeah, you too. Okay, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye.